This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. I'm Drew, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris, and we miss Josh. Josh is not with us tonight. Uh, We miss you. We love you. Come back to us. We are a podcast production that seeks to approach church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We are on Patreon, so if you would like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash matteroftheology and become a subscriber. If you would like to just donate money to us, reach out for information on how you can donate. We are a part of the Christian podcast community. If you would like to find more Christian podcasts, head on over to strivingforeternity.org and check out all their podcasts. There are a lot, a lot to choose from. But on today's episode, we will be discussing lukewarm Christianity. We might also say, uh, refer to this as the carnal Christian or what the Puritan Stephen Charnock would call the practical atheists. Now, to quote Charnock here, he says, quote, Those are more deservedly termed atheists who acknowledge a God and walk as if there were none, period, close quote. This is a problem throughout the church that we can trace all the way back to Scripture. And my mind is drawn to Romans chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 2, may genoita, may it never be, the strongest negation in the Greek language. And Paul is emphatic about it. But he continues on to say, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Stephen Charnock again, actions are a greater discovery of a principle than words. Men's practices are the best indices, indexes, indices, however you say it. Indices, you're right. Indices, yeah, of their principles. Now, I'll be referring to Charnock throughout the episode, but at some point in our discussion, I do want to get to Revelation chapter 3 and the message uh, to Laodicea where we see this reference of being lukewarm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And that's a, that, that's a good way to kick us off. And, um, 
you know, what kind of uh, stoked the fire, if you will, to to talk about this is, um, again, just more of uh, of of uh, we were talking the three amongst the three of us, and and um, uh, we were just talking about you know different topics and different things that we're seeing in the world and. Uh, and, 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 and in the evangelical community and, um, you know, what, what is the root of all of this? And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, we, we started, uh, you know, studying the book of Jude together. And uh, for me, uh, this is my second time through really just taking a whole month and studying uh, the book of Jude, uh, uh, you know, uh, amongst other things. Uh, but there's a verse in Jude, uh, it's, a, it's a verse four, uh, and it says this, it says, uh, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So certain people there, you know, you certain persons, certain people, that's, that's plural, um, have crept in and that's, that's in the active voice. Uh, and it literally means unnoticed, to slipped in stealthily, to steal in, unnoticed. Other passages of Scripture say unawares, other uh, translations, excuse me. And, and so those, um, and, and we see that those are vessels um, who have been long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons. And of course, that uh, Jude there, the half-brother of Jesus, is um, uh, using similar language to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, and uh, specifically in the latter half of that chapter, but verses uh, 21 through 24, that whole section 14 to 24 is phenomenal, but uh, specifically 21 through 24 says, or, or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, uh, and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Verse 23, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he pre prepared, here's this word again, beforehand for glory. Even us whom he call, also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. So there's so much there in, in, this, in this one verse in Jude, but but that specific section there, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ um, was, was something that, that really has stood out to me um, uh, and, and, and something that we see, um, we, we see a good bit. We see um, so many of us. And when I say us, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's always a good thing. Um, to stop and to examine ourselves, right? It's always a good thing to stop and test uh, the fruits of the root change that has happened within us to, uh, to steal some words from Dr. Stephen Lawson uh, and, and Dr. Joel Beakey um, and their new book that they have. But, um, uh, you know, so often today we, um, we hear and we see uh, people professing faith in Jesus Christ um, and, and they don't possess that. You don't see the evidence of that. Or, um, uh, and one of the things that we, we're going to get into tonight is talking about backsliding and what does that mean and what does that look like and does that mean that we're lukewarm? Um, 
So, so there's a lot to talk about. And I want to say this, brother, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you. Um, what I don't want this episode to be is I don't want people um, to listen to this and walk away doubting their salvation if they're truly in Christ. Um, I, I, I don't want any of us to walk away uh, after listening to this and, and, and myself and, and you included and, um, and, 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 you know, have doubts. Um, and we have to remember that, uh, that salvation is of God. Um, it is, it is uh, rot of God. And when I say rot, I mean begun and works, not rot as in rotten, um, but rot of God before the foundation of the world. And uh, to quote uh, my good friend and brother Virgil Walker, uh, we have to remember, and as he was talking about Ephesians 1, when it comes to our salvation, that Ephesians 1 says that before the foundation of the world, so that means before God said, let there be light, there was a plan of salvation. And if you are in Christ, your name was among that plan. So I'll, I'll pause there, man, and, and, and kind of let you, let you take it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Yeah, so let's, um, let's look at, we, we've heard this from, if you've listened to Paul Washer for any amount of time, right? He, he has talked about those who just simply have made a profession of faith at one time right? They, they walked the aisle, they, they made some profession of faith, they signed a card, and now they, they have pronounced themselves saved. And, but what comes out of that, right? Well, let's talk about the fruit that comes out of that. The fruit that comes out of that really is, is non-existent because they haven't actually been taught what salvation is and what is to come forth as far as holiness and what what's expected in the christian life uh so so people really in that initial kind of wanting to be saved as as many of us have have experienced i know myself included whereas i want to be saved simply so i don't go to hell therefore i think because i'm saved now i can live however i want and that's not the case Right, right, right. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's what, uh, you know, when Jude refers to licentiousness, that's exactly mm -hmm. what that is, is mm -hmm. antinomianism is, is right. another is another phrase that you'll hear uh, with that. Um, and I also like, you know, practical atheism, um, the Charnock uh, defining it there. And then I've also um, what's uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul had some great uh, some, some, some great words about this, too. He said this about practical atheism. He said, quote, uh, what is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there were no God. Um, uh, which, of course, refers back to Luke 14, 1, I, I believe, uh, or no, Psalm 14, 1, Psalm 14, 1, excuse me. Um, uh, to, to continue with Dr. Sproul, the externals continue, but man becomes the central thrust of devotion as the attention of religious concern, concern shifts away from man's devotion to God to man's devotion to man bypassing God. The ethic of Christ continues in a superficial way, having been ripped from its supernatural, transcendent, and divine foundation, period, close quote. Um, and man, 
do we see that today? Do we see that in, in, uh, you know, in churches? And, and I would go as, as so far to say that, that one of the problems with practical atheism or one of the reasons that we see it, especially today, especially uh, in this part of the country, the buckle of the Bible belt, um, is because of weak, uh, impotent preaching. And uh, to, to quote Dr. John MacArthur, um, he says this, quote, churches that neglect the preaching of God's word leave their people spiritually malnourished and subscribe to both temptation and error because they are ill-equipped to use the sword of the spirit, period, close quote. So, I, I mean, you, you, look at, you look at the way that the gospel is presented and and uh, and I'm specifically thinking about in one denomination, but I, I won't I won't say what that denomination is. But it's it's all about uh, it's all about your decision, your your what you do, uh, you commit, you you know, uh, instead of truly starting from the point of uh, like like the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter two, you know, uh, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working at sons of disobedience in the sons of disobedience among them too, we all, uh, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, um, you know, that that's gotta be the starting point. The starting point is you are a sinner. You are a sinner damned to eternal hell because of your sin. Your, your, uh, you know, your throat is an open grave. The, the poison of asps is on your, on your lips, uh, as, as, as Paul quoting the Old Testament there in Romans chapter 3. There is no one who seeks God. There's no one righteous. Um, and so when you start from that point and, and, and in that place, um, realizing that salvation and preaching that salvation is a monergistic work of the Trinity, uh, not, uh, and by the way, the Trinity is not three forms of one person. Thank you, Stephen Furtick. Uh, <laughs> you modalist. Uh, it, uh, but the Trinity is, is, is one God, three persons. Well, you know uh, why he's a modalist, right? T.D. Jakes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, you see, you see weak and, and, and impotent preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, you see you know, pastors that, uh, and, and I put pastors in air quotes that, you know, they get up on a platform and tell people that the Old Testament doesn't matter and that the Bible says so doesn't matter and is not good enough um, when, when that, 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 that's completely the opposite. So what you got, man? Right. Yeah. So uh, in reference to, to that quote you gave by Sproul, um, I believe he's, he's kind of modernizing, you know, a lot of some things that, that Charnock actually says. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, because Charnock says, you know, men may have atheistical hearts without atheistical heads. Their mm. reasons may defend the notion of a deity while their hearts are empty of affections to the deity. Now, I, and I know you said um, a minute ago that we don't want people to doubt their salvation. And and that's true. But we, we also can't ignore the fact that there are people who presume themselves to be saved, and because of a weak pulpit, they sit in church services under a false conversion, the, the illusion of a false conversion, or I should say delusion. Uh, but I want, if you're listening to this, 
and you are wrestling with your salvation, I, I want to encourage you that there is an assurance of salvation. And Christ says it. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand, all those that oh, yeah. the Father has given to me. Uh, he will lose none. He will, meaning it's it, assurance, it definite. Mm-hmm. He will mm-hmm. lose none. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that you are wrestling with that shows your desire uh, for God, your heart for God. So uh, I want to encourage you to... First John speaks to that. That that's very right. point. Yep. That's right. So, so if you're struggling with that, I would want to encourage you to just uh, cry out to God, uh, bring your heart before Him. Uh, now, yeah. Back, oh, go if ahead. it well, one more thing, just on that on that subject. If you are struggling with that, or ever have struggled with that, or ever look, no, anybody who who listens to the sound of my voice right now, uh, if you have not subscribed uh, subscribed to the Just Thinking podcast. Uh, Daryl Harris and Virgil Walker, you need to do it. Their latest episode entitled The Assurance of Salvation is a two hour and 14 minute episode, but it is absolutely amazing. Um, I mean it. Uh, Anybody who professes faith in Christ at some point, everyone will ask those questions. Everyone will ask the questions uh, and, and not necessarily doubt, but have questions about the assurance of salvation. Uh, this, this episode of this podcast is, is a needed thing for you to go listen to. So, um, uh, yeah, do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that little plug in, in there. So, so, so now the, the conflict comes with in, in lukewarm Christianity, right? The, the practical atheism, the, we're not denying outright that there is, that, that, that there is no God but rather it's the living as though God does not exist. Now that is, that's a problem in and of itself because there's this tension that comes with how do I know? How do I know if I'm just, if I'm not a believer or if I, I am a believer that just, I sometimes I'm, I'm full bore right at going towards God, but then I stumble and I fall and then one stumble and fall turns into another stumble and fall turns into another turns into another. And I'm back into this kind of melancholy. uh, I mean, yeah, God's where where I begin to start cheapening God's grace with my excuses to justify sin. Right. Do do you feel that tension there? Yes, I do. Uh, Yes, I do. And, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, we need to go back. We, we need to go back and look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And um, to, to quote uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson, he says this, he says, quote, uh, it doesn't take much of a man to follow Jesus, just everything he has, period, close quote. Um, and I don't even have to write that quote down to remember that one. Um, uh, 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 number one, I've heard Steve say it a lot. Uh, number two, it's something that has stuck with me. Um, we, we must count the cost. We must, uh, realize that in coming to Christ there, uh, the salvation is a gift. Faith is a gift that is given. Um, however, the moment that the journey begins for us, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and profess him as Lord, um, uh, that's where that starts. Um, it is not that you profess him as savior. And then later on down the road, he'll be your Lord. 
once I learn more about him, once I learn more about the Bible, no, no, it's, it's, it, it's, it's an immediate thing that happens. You are justified, you are sanctified, uh, and immediately the Holy Spirit works in you. And, and Jesus is very specific in Luke chapter 14. Um, you know, he says this, starting in verse 25, he says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if it has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, and he goes on to talk, of, you know, to use an analogy uh, of, of a king in battle. Uh, about uh, again counting the cost, um, uh, you know, um, and 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 verse thirty three. So then, none of you can be my disciple, who does not give up all his own possessions. So you hear the theme, and you hear the point of this passage of scripture is this: that in comparison to Christ, in comparison to following Christ, those of the, those who are truly um, in the household of faith those who have truly been made new, those who have truly been renewed, redeemed, regenerate. Um, in comparison to Christ, your love for Christ outshines everything else. It, 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 oh, the love of Jesus Christ, the love that you have for Christ, because he first loved you, you love him, will cause you to, the point is this, take up your own cross, carry your own cross. And what Jesus means there, when you think about what the cross is, the cross is uh, a, a, a tool, okay, a tool in, in, that delivers death. That's what the cross is. What Jesus is saying there is that we die completely to ourselves. Uh, he is not saying, and there have been so many that say, well, see, Jesus is saying you have to hate your mother and father and brother and sister and husband and wife. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. Well, no, no. The Bible contradicts itself because in 1 John, doesn't it say that if you hate your brother, you've committed murder? So Jesus is telling people to murder people. Stop it. Stop it. What he means there, okay, he is talking about in compare, nothing compares to your pursuit of Christ. Nothing compares to the love that you have for Jesus. Um, nothing. Not the love that you have for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your own kids. Nothing compares to that. And, but, and you have to count that cost. You have to count the cost. You have to go. Uh, you know, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, right? Using, using the language of Scripture. And we all know that, you know, those of you out here who are listening right now and be like, no, man, I'm Reformed. He doesn't knock at the door. He blows it off the hinges. I've heard Steve Lawson say that. Yes. Yes, that is what happens. That's called irresistible grace. When, when you are able to comprehend the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing nothing. Uh, you won't want to resist it. Um, so, but in comparison, when it comes to the flesh, you have to die to your wants, your preferences, uh, your, your past, uh, your culture uh, from a fleshly standpoint. And from that point forward, the journey begins 
of your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. What you got, man? Mm-hmm. Now, I would say that uh, the person who is the lukewarm Christian, the the carnal Christian, which I, I, I would say there is no such thing as a carnal Christian because carnality is one that desires the world, the things of the world, um, wants to give in to those fleshly desires. But those who claim to be in Christ um there is a a love and a desire still for sin for for some of those who who claim to be in Christ and so some of their christianity is trying to see how close they can get to sin while still remaining in Christ right, would uh, we say that uh, for those who would call themselves carnal Christians, um, I would agree with Dr. R.C. Sproul when he says there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. If you're a carnal Christian, you're not a Christian. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, I mean, if you love your sin, which uh, that was one of the reasons that I had written down as far as, uh, you know, why do people remain, you know, lukewarm? Uh, is because we, you know, ultimately we, we, we do love our sin. Pride is something that we struggle with. But I, I think back to Jesus's words in, in the greatest sermon that has ever been preached uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, when he, uh, in Matthew 5, when he says he opened his mouth and began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Um, and right there, um, it, it isn't, it isn't blessed or happy are those who are just sad all the time. The, again, in context, Jesus is referring to blessed are those who mourn over their sin. If you don't hate your sin, um, you, you may have moments of backsliding. Absolutely. We all do. <laughs> uh, and, and, and may have moments of screwing up, but what is the response when convicted of that sin? Is it that you love that sin and you, and you don't give it up? Or is it that you fight it, that you hate it, that you are doing battle? You know, we, we walked through the mortification of sin by John Owen. And it, is it, are you putting to death? I mean, think about it from a military standpoint. It's a military term. You are putting to death. You are doing battle from a, I mean, you, you're shooting to kill. This isn't, this isn't trying to wound and, and detain. No. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm empty in the magazine until the threat is neutralized, and that threat needs to be put down, period, and finally. So when it comes to your sin, you know, is that what you're doing? Um, and, um, you know, I, I, when, you, when you mentioned backsliding, I, I, I had this quote written down by Robert Murray, Robert Murray McShane, and he said this. He said, quote, uh, backsliding Christian, how was it when you first came to Jesus, when you were nothing but a sinner? Did your tears or penances recommend you to Jesus then? Did Jesus not love you and die for you when you were his hardened enemy? Come back to Jesus in the same way now, period, close quote. You know, so, so that's what we remember. And man, you said something offline earlier, and I think maybe this is kind of the, maybe a good spot to get into that, uh, which we talked about, we talked about this last time. Um, you know, Romans, Romans two, um, there in, in that section, and of course, Paul is, is specifically talking about, uh, those who think that they're better, um, 
uh, you know, he's just gone through Romans one and, and walked through this unbelief and its consequences. And, and then he gets into the impartiality of God, but, but what a reminder of us in verse four of, of Romans chapter two, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to um, uh, backsliding, when it comes to moments where we wrestle against the flesh, are we remembering these words? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So are, are we remembering that? Are we remembering that Christ died for the very sins that we commit? He Past, present, and future. He died for them. His blood was spilled for them. You know, going back to that, I was talking earlier about Ephesians 1. You know, uh, the, the fact that, that salvation was, was a plan that was put in place before the foundation of the world, right? Uh, Ephesians 1.4, just as he, ch he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless, before him, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Before the foundation of the world, before God said, let there be light, the plan was in place for his son to shed his blood, to take the scourging and the beating and the mocking and the spitting in your place and in my place so that we would be holy and blameless so that that righteousness would be imputed to us and so that the Holy Spirit could live in us because of that imputed righteousness and give us the ability to live sanctified and holy lives. What you got, man? Yeah, so that you said a word that is often neglected from many, many, many pulpits. And that's the word holiness, because there's Christians today that don't understand what it means to be holy. And one of the reasons that, that I know you and I love the Puritans so much was their devotion to the holiness of God. And we talked about this in our, our Reformation uh, series last October, where we discussed the Puritans, and it was there, they took those doctrines from the Reformation, and they sought to more fully apply it in, not just in, in the church life, but in every aspect of their life, in order to grow in holiness, because they understood that, that we are sinners, that glorification doesn't happen until the very end sanctification is a process but they understood the necessity to continually be putting to death like you were talking about sin in order to grow in holiness it's a a honoring and a reverence of what god has done so we fall into this kind of lukewarmness when we forget the holiness of God, and when we forget our call to be holy as well. And ultimately, that stems from a weak pulpit and lack of discipleship with one another. Absolutely. And, and 
you know, going back to the, the pulpit piece and then we'll get into the individual piece. Um, and, and it's, it, I hesitate going here because we go here a lot, but it's so true. Um, and it, it, it applies with the topic that we're talking about, but you look at the way that, that worldliness has absolutely infiltrated the church today. Um, you look at the fact that there are church services and, um, crowds, there's a difference between a congregation and a crowd. Um, there, you can't distinguish most church crowds from a concert. You can't distinguish some, some, you know, quote unquote pastors and preachers from, uh, Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey. Um, uh, and I, I mean, that, that, that's a problem. The worldliness has invaded, uh, the church and, um, and, and, and it's a battle. It's a battle for, for holiness, uh, holiness from God's church and a holiness from us as individuals. Um, but that battle is only going to be won from the inside out, not the outside in and how that, and where that starts uh, is, is, is from the pulpit, um, uh, but then also in the home. That starts with husbands and fathers being present with the spiritual, for the spiritual growth of their family. Um, you know, just, just real quick, the, uh, the, the New Testament is uh, replete, if you will, with uh, imperatives uh, that challenge us in our holiness. Uh, we are told in 1 Peter 2 to abstain from lusts. Romans 8, 13 tells us to mortify the deeds in the body. 1 John 2, lo don't love the world. 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. Put off the old man in Ephesians 4. Philippians 4 is think on what is whatever is right, true, pure, and holy. Um, we, we, are, we are told to let God's word dwell in us richly and that everything we do should be in word and deed should all be in the name of the Lord Jesus in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Um, we are told to, 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 to beat our bodies to bring them into subjection under the Lord, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, uh, and, and that is our living, our living sacrifice of worship in Romans 12. Um, the, the Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 7 tells, tells us to cleanse ourselves from, from every ounce of, of filthiness and unrighteousness that we have. Um, uh, we're told to walk in the spirit in Galatians. Uh, we're told to lay aside bitterness, anger, malice, wrath, filthy language from our lips in Ephesians 4, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could keep going, um, you know, so, but, but we are told to be holy as, as, as he is holy. And, and uh, Romans tells us that we have been freed from the slavery of sin and for the slavery of righteousness to quote John Piper. Like that's, that's what we have been given in Christ. And, and, and so, so that, that's why, again, I, I say that to, to be a lukewarm or carnal Christian um, all the time is not possible. Then you're, you're not a Christian. Um, yes, you may backslide. Yes, you're going to struggle with sin. Yes, you're going to you're going to wrestle with the conflict of two natures, Romans seven. But at the end of the day, just like I said before, 
do we stop and can we identify with Paul and, and beat our chest and fall to the ground in true repentance? Um, not, not because we got caught, but because, because we are truly repentant and say, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, I think that's an important distinction to make because many people, I mean, and it, it, it almost takes me back to, to when I was an adolescent. <laughs> I like the way you said that, Where, when I was an adolescent. <laughs> when I was an adolescent. <laughs> we were, <laughs> you're, many are sorry because they get caught. They're not sorry because they understand that what they did was wrong. Yeah. There's a quote. I'm trying to remember it now and I can't, it's uh, uh, something like you're not, it's, it's, if you're sorry that you got caught versus you're sorry that you did it, you're uh, yeah. You don't really love God. You're just, you're, you don't love Jesus as in you're devoted to Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And I'm butchering this, uh, but you're just trying to, again, the, the get out of hell free card. You're just wanting to avoid the punishment instead of being sorry that you committed the crime. Right. Now, I would, I think that another reason that people fall into, into lukewarmness, we've said, uh, we, we've talked about the, the weak pulpit. We've talked about lack of discipleship. Um, we've talked about a, a, a false understanding or a non-understanding of holiness as it pertains to God's holiness and our call to be holy. But I think another reason is a lack of an understanding of the fear of God. Many today do not, don't possess a fear of God. If you would, if you were to go into, right, some of these churches that you and I know about, uh, locally uh, that that we have passed through or known people that go there uh, they don't have a fear of God and it's demonstrated through how they do church it's demonstrated through through the worship through the the concert that's being presented it's demonstrated through the messages that are all about you and what you can do with Jesus as your footnote to be able to do it. So there's a, a true lack of reverence and fear of God. Yes, sir. I, I, I agree with that. Um, uh, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. And I think one of, uh, um, we've all been there, right? Uh, we don't either think about it or we forget it. Um, and, um, we, and that's a, that, that's a scary place to be. Um, you know, uh, first Peter, you know, first Peter speaks to, um, speaks to that when it talks, it talks about honoring authority, you know, that we are to, uh, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, we don't, uh, I mean, we, we, we don't, and, and that's a, I, you know, you mentioned Paul Washer earlier, and uh, you know one of one of his. Uh, I say it's interesting. It's interesting when you talk about Paul Washer sermons because you end up going, "Man, one of my favorite sermons." But you just go, 
is it really? Because it really made me think and really hit me in the heart and the gut and elsewhere. Uh, you know, so, um, but, but, you know, when he talks about, you know, and I think about this in my own life and I think about this with, um, with my wife and I think about this with the bride of Christ. You know, I think about the fact that God has entrusted me with the wife, his daughter. Okay. And all of that entails, all of that entails. I'm, I'm, I'm scared of my father-in-law. He just turned 78 years old, but I'm still, nope, no, <laughs> you know, like, um, but when you think about the holiness of God and the fact that uh, when we sin, yes, it breaks God's heart. Uh, our sin is, is ultimately what sent Jesus to the cross, um, but it angers him as well. And, uh, and there've been, there, there've been many, uh, lately that, uh, you know, that try to say that, that God doesn't get angry with sin. Um, but scripture, you know, scripture says otherwise, um, I believe it's Psalm seven and I'm flip, flipping over there now. First indication they don't read their Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Absolutely. Um, Psalm seven, I'm sorry, Psalm, yeah, Psalm seven. Listen to these words. Psalm 7, verse 12. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness. And he conceives and he conceives mischief mischief and brings forth falsehood he has dug a pit and hollowed it out and he has fallen into the hole which he has made his mischief will return upon his own head and his violence will descend upon his own pate listen to those words and realize that for the unrepentant like there's a reason that paul i mentioned earlier romans 9 there's a reason that paul uh, said, you know, vessels of wrath. God's wrath and God's judgment is not to be trifled with. And, and, and again, uh, scripture with scripture, I think back to that passage in Romans 2, the patience and tolerance, and the word tolerance there is literally translated in the Greek as long-suffering, and the kindness of God, the, the graciousness and the the, again, that, that patience that God has with the wicked um, and, and with us as his children, um, man, we fear God. Yeah. Man. yeah, go ahead. I see your Psalm 7 and I raise you a Psalm 5. That's, I think maybe that's what I was looking for. I'm, I'm going to begin in verse 4 of Psalm 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord adhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Those are strong words. Yeah. So when people That's say... That's what I was looking for. But Psalm yeah. 7 works too. <laughs> yeah. So, so when people say, you know, God doesn't hate anyone, you're wrong. God hates all who do iniquity. Not only does he hate them, he adhors them. And his wrath rests against the wicked. Yeah. 
So now, but, but this fear of the Lord, I, I do want to be clear because there, there's a lot of misconception about what it means to have a fear of the Lord. Now, there's two kinds of fear that we can think of, and both are present in our lives at one point in time. There's a servile fear, fear which is uh, kind of the fear that a torturer has for his tormentor or, or, or the one who re- receiving torture gets from his tormentor. Um, and so when we are apart from Christ, separated from Christ, at enmity with Christ, we are going we if we die in that position, we will be the recipient of God's eternal wrath. That is a servile fear, a punishment fear. But for the Christian, there's a uh, filial fear, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. uh, a childlike, yeah fear, which is not one that has to be afraid of of punishment, but one that says, this is my father, and I'm afraid to disappoint him by acting in a way contrary that he tells me to act, right? It's It's a fear of this kind of disappointment. Now, there's what we don't want to do is we don't want to become too comfortable i would say or familiar with god right like like yes god is our friend he is our comforter but he's not our homeboy okay so so we have to maintain this proper fear that recognizes the holiness of god the mm. sinfulness of man and that we are called to serve and honor God. Mm. Amen, brother. You know, you said a few things. Uh, you said a few things there that's that's right on. Um, you know, we don't we don't fear God in a a, a final punishment sense. Uh, we we understand that the punishment has been paid. Right. That mm-hmm. that that that's comes right. from the assurance that we have in Christ. Uh, the insurance in his work, the, the, we rest in the fact that nothing, Romans 8 says, can separate us from the love of God. Uh, we, we rest in uh, the who, what, where, when, and why of salvation. Um, and uh, that's where we rest. But you said something there that, uh, uh, that, that I think is also important for us as believers um, is, is, you know, when we experience um, uh, uh, pain, Okay, the pain of discipline, mm, yeah. um, uh, and uh, and or the pain of of, of uh, as a, as a warning system, our consciences, right? Okay, so so First Timothy one nineteen says keeping uh, keeping faith uh, and in good conscience. Okay, um, so that's uh, that we we would heed the warnings of conscience, right, um, and that we wouldn't sh- suffer shipwreck regarding our faith. That, that's what Paul is is telling his young protege there. Uh, but the conscience itself is, it, it's, a, it's a warning system that God has given each of us. And when I say each of us, I don't just mean believers. Right. Like the, 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 the law of God, the law is written on every person's heart made in the Imago Dei. Right. Okay. Uh, Romans 1 talks about that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Which um, is why atheists, even atheists, know that it's wrong to murder people. Correct. Correct. Well, maybe. 
they may have gotten to the point to where, uh, you know, the, the conscience has been seared in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about, you know, Drew, you play guitar. I play guitar. Um, I haven't played in a while. Um, yeah, and so the calluses on my fingers have worn down. So Ain't got none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So if I go pick up those calluses or if I go pick up, listen to me, if I go pick up that guitar and start playing right now, like it's, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt. And what does that let me know? That let me, lets me know that if I want to continue down this road, that I need to keep playing to build up, right? To the, the, the pain is, 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 a, is a warning system in letting me know, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that pain in our body lets us know that there's a problem, okay? It's a, um, and, and, and the conscience has done that. The conscience has, uh, it, it's God's way of, of protecting ourselves, but so many have, uh, so many have, have, have seared those consciences so much uh, that they don't feel that anymore. Right. Okay. Uh, right. But they've then that, suppressed the truth so much, right? That that now they that their heart has become callous. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, but then I also think about the Father's discipline. You know, out of Hebrews twelve, and, uh, and and we've talked about this before. You know, again, we we've we've mentioned this a few times now, or I have, when it comes to sin. Um, and this is, the, you know, the writer of Hebrews in, in, in uh, Hebrews 12, 4 says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the discipline uh, from the Lord being reproved by him. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he's quoting the Old Testament here, but he says, for, you know, for those uh, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Um, and, and, and verse seven, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as your, as, as with sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is a, weighty reminder for each of us um we think of the the pain uh, that that is involved in discipline discipline hurts but it's a warning system to remind us to remind us of to correct ourselves and or and or uh it, it discipline can be a reminder uh to uh for further training right and i think about that 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 example that paul rosher gave at, at praise mill that time talking about um you know his dad driving him out to the end of the farm with the ankle weights and made him made him run all the way back uh, as a way of disciplining his body to prepare for for you know for being an athlete and um but yeah that 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 we have to remember that too when it comes to so bringing this all back around to being lukewarm and being carnal are you being disciplined is the lord reproving you and disciplining you in your sin or or is he not because if he hasn't then scripture says you're illegitimate children and not sons but then also you ask as believers what are you doing to train your conscience to train your mind to to hide god's word in your heart that you may not sin against him what are you doing uh, from an active standpoint sanctification yes is a trinitarian work it is a holy spirit work but guess what? You're involved in that as well. So what are you doing? What are we doing? What am I doing to train myself and discipline as well um, in, in, 
and, and shedding blood, striving against sin, as the writer of Hebrews says, and beating my body to the point of submission, as Paul said in Corinthians. So what, what's right. your name? Now, these are the, this discipline that you're talking about, this is a grace and a blessing from God. Yes. It's an assurance that lets us know that we're his children. Because uh, as Paul Washer ha- says also, he says, if you're not being disciplined by God, are you even sure you're his kid? Right? Um, Ooh. And that reminds me of a quote by Dr. R.C. Sproul from, uh, from Enjoying God. He said this, quote, It is not enough for the Christian to know that God is. We must be driven by a holy passion to know who he is. The pursuit of the knowledge of God must never be undertaken as a casual exercise. Mm-hmm. It must be the chief business of our lives, period, close quote. That's right. That's right. Um, now, with the time that we've got left, I want to move into uh, Revelation chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the message to Laodicea. Now, this is oftentimes uh, used by preachers to say that you can't be lukewarm. Now, there, there is an individual aspect of it, but this is ultimately a letter to a specific church as, uh, as how the church is functioning. Uh, but this also works on an individual level as too, seeing as how the church is made up of individuals. Uh, mm-hmm. we, can, we can take this and we can apply it as well. But uh, uh, preachers, especially, you know, down here, Chris, we're down here in the South, you know, those old timey Southern Baptist preachers will use passages like this to say that, you know, see, you can't be cold. You got to be on fire for God, right? (laughs) You can't be lukewarm. You did that too well, man. (laughs) Well, and, and, and before you, before you get, (laughs) keep in mind, I kind of bringing this back here. Laodicea is an unsaved, proud, and unconverted church. It is wrought with non-believers who think that they are believers. And, and this went, this rebuke went farther than the rebuke that we see earlier in chapter three for the church at Sardis. I mean, as far as rebukes go from the Lord mm-hmm. to a church, this is, this is the most threatening one yet. Mm-hmm. So sorry, yeah. go ahead. So, so I'm just going to start in, uh, in, at the beginning in verse 14. Uh, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds. <laughs> That's enough to send a chill up your spine okay, right there. <laughs> can, we, can we go home? <laughs> right. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you mm. out of my mouth. Now, keep in mind the, the reference I made earlier to, to those old-timey Southern uh, preachers that like to use this to say you must be hot 
you cannot be cold as though hot means saved cold means unsaved and you can't be lukewarm in the middle because that's just as bad and you'll get spit out but when you're studying the bible you must have proper hermeneutics and what are hermeneutics true hermeneutics is the science of interpreting god's word it's bringing out the understanding of what is written now in order to have a proper hermeneutic you must gain context now in this passage right here now gaining context there's a lot in order to gain context to in order to bridge gaps from back then to now here we have to understand what's called a geographical context mm-hmm. Laodicea lies right in the middle of Colossae and Heropolis. I believe it was Colossae that had the cool, refreshing springs, and it was Heropolis that had the the hot, soothing uh, fountains um, in their their territory and what laodicea wanted to do was they wanted to build these kind of tunnels that would get the cool springs and the hot springs so they could have the best of both but by the time the water traveled from each and arrived at laodicea it was lukewarm and it was useless it wasn't cool and refreshing it wasn't hot and soothing it was absolutely useless and what's going on here john is writing being led by the Holy Spirit, and he's saying that I wish you were either hot, meaning on fire, soothing, uh, right, like the water you desire to have, or that you were cold and you were refreshing like this other water you're trying to have, but because you're neither you're lukewarm. He's, it's a direct reference to Laodicea's water system that mm-hmm. is lukewarm and useless. Because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. When, when you look at the, the actual Greek translation um, of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of, of when Jesus said spit, like it, it really is vomit throw up vomit forth spew yeah that's usually what i get when i drink sweet tea yeah because i don't right so this isn't like a like a like a jimmy fallon spit take you know this isn't this isn't one of those i like this in that 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 it's it's a gagging reflex right right absolutely it's 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 detestable like it's 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 disgust it's it's rejecting with extreme disgust Um, and, and you, you think about that you're because you're neither, uh, hot, boiling, hot, uh, scalding, hot on fire. Um, you know, from, from a frame of mind into all that you do, uh, or cold, um, you know, uh, ice cold and sluggish and, uh, you know, just, just, yeah, completely cold when it comes to it, but, but you're lukewarm, right? You're, uh, when you when you look at the, the, think about that that lukewarm uh, that that word lukewarm there, um, uh, you know you're just fluctuating between uh, hot and cold. You're you're just uh, you know think about it. I, I've heard it used as an illustration in the past is you know you got one foot in and one foot out. Um, you're straddling the fence. Uh, 
I did hear someone say once pooper get off the pot. Um, and, um, you know, but, but because that you're, you're lukewarm, I will, I will, I will reject you with the utmost disgust. Those are Jesus's words after saying, I know your deeds. Yikes. Yikes. And that's, that's why, I mean, that, that is the purpose of examining ourselves. That is the purpose of working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Um, and, and, and that's also too, you know, I, I kind of knew we were going to go there in this episode. So I, again, I don't want someone to doubt their salvation from a, you know, from a, oh my gosh, am I saved? And, 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 and is my salvation secure? And can I lose it? No, you can't. Um, but at the same time, we must examine ourselves uh, against the backdrop of scripture. Um, and it's, it, it's a good thing to do that. Mm-hmm. What you got? Yeah, that's right. No, I think, uh, I think that's a, a great place to, to kind of wrap up. Um, what I want to do, uh, to wrap up is I want to read this quote from, uh, my boy, Stephen Charnock, uh, because we've talked about a lot today. Yeah. Yes, we have. Right. And, and I think this uh, sums it up very well. The position of the practical atheist. Charnock says this, when we deny his, that's God, when we deny his sovereignty, when we violate his laws, or let me start, let me start that again. We deny his sovereignty when we violate his laws. We disgrace his holiness when we cast our filth before his face. We disparage his wisdom when we set up another rule as the guide of our action than the law he hath fixed. We slight his sufficiency when we prefer a satisfaction in sin before a happiness in him alone. And his goodness we slight when we, ju- when we, when we judge it, meaning his goodness, when we judge it not strong enough to attract us to him. It is such a vilifying of God as if he were not God. Amen. Amen, man. I have uh, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Believer, continue in your sanctification. Continue to... uh, resist sin, uh, to the point of shedding blood to the, I mean, not, not physically don't, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, make your body a slave to Christ because that's what we are. You know, we, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that we're studying Jude, uh, the three of us and, uh, today's day two of doing that. And, um, you know, but as you pointed out and something drew you and I have talked a ton about over the last uh, couple of years, uh, you know, the book of Jude starts out this way, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That is what we all, uh, we, we all need to, need to seek to, you know, re- remember is that uh, we are saved. Uh, and, 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 and when we truly think about what we've been saved from and for um, and, and how we were saved and the fact that um, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were, um, by nature, children of wrath. We were um, objects of, of, of his divine punishment. Um, and, and what Christ has done um, is unbelievable 
you know, we think of uh, that continuing in, in Ephesians 2, uh, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's what he has done. And that's what was in place before the foundation of the world. And so because of that, we are a bondservant, that doulos we are in bondage to, we are subject to, we are uh, his slave. That is what our lives look like. And so um, that's what we are most concerned with. Are we glorifying God in everything that we do in word and deed? Amen. Well, with that, we're going to head out of here. We will catch you guys on the next one. Goodbye.